and welcome to the Back in Style podcast, the Twisted Mug Media Network's Twin Peaks podcast. I'm Logan. And I'm Matthew. I'm Ryan. And today we're going to be talking about uh, episode 14 of season 2 of Twin Peaks, uh, Double Play, first televised February 2nd, 1991. Guest starring Robin Lively as Lana Budding, Annette McCarthy as Evelyn Marsh, David Warner as Thomas Eckhart, and Dan O'Hurley as Andrew Packard. Written by Scott Frost, directed by Uli Adel, and edited by Jonathan P. Shaw. So, uh, what's interesting, what I think is interesting about this episode is that it's been called the worst episode in Twin Peaks, which hmm. which I disagree with. I think we hit that mark a couple weeks ago, and I quite enjoy some some pieces of this episode, but what what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm actually very surprised by that claim. Um, although there were you know absolutely some atrocious scenes from this episode that we'll get into, particularly the ones with James, I thought that overall this was a major step up, and definitely a lot better than, um, forgetting the episode title, but the one that we did a couple episodes ago, um, I really enjoyed, I thought this episode started and finished really well. Oh, the Black Widow? I think it yes, was that yeah, one. That yeah, one, yeah. Whichever one had, whichever one had Andy's thought balloon of Little Nicky as the devil. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree that the Black Widow is probably the worst episode, but this is right down there, man. I mean, like, I, I, I watched this, like, a week or two ago just because I wanted to watch the next episode after, I think, Checkmate was a pretty decent episode. Um, but then mm-hmm. I was like, ah, shit, that was bad again. Uh, so yeah, in rewatching it last night to, to do the podcast, I was like, I don't want to watch this. And it's, it's, it's definitely down there in the bottom two or three episodes so far for me. I, I did not like this episode at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. I don't know. I just it, can't it, think, it, I can't think of any redeeming, ep- uh, scenes in this in this episode that I hope you guys maybe can walk me through and maybe give me a little more appreciation for it. But this is just definitely one of the, one of the times, especially as we get to a scene towards the end that the writing is just so clear that it's not done by the main writers. Yeah. You mean the scene with uh, James and Evelyn towards the end, I'm assuming, because I completely agree. Um, definitely a very atrocious scene. And, and it, although I thought this episode did have a lot of that old Twin Peaks charm, it was definitely lacking in the writing. Well, Here's the thing, too. I'm just looking at this now on my computer. This is written by Scott Frost, who is the brother of Mark Frost, and that right. makes a lot of sense that this guy who can't write is given... He, he also <laughs> wrote um, another episode. He wrote um, he wrote Driver the Dead Girl, which is actually a pretty good episode, okay? But, you oh, know... Yeah. yeah, so, I don't know. Maybe this guy just got handed a bad outline by someone, but yeah, this, this writing in this episode was atrocious. Hmm. Fair. Yeah, there's some... There's some pretty bad dialogue, but I do think that some good stuff happens here. I like there, I like some of these There's a prequel scenes. level, pre- Star Wars prequel level scene towards the end <laughs> that I think I typed Ooh. out in our group chat last night that I just could not fathom was oh. real. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I, I think we compared. We might have compared James Hurley to Anakin in episode two. Yeah, and it's just it's accurate. It's a fair comparison. Yeah, he went yeah. to the same acting school. Hayden Christensen went to the same acting school. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's let's just get into the plot summary. Uh, I'm reading from The Essential Wrapped in Plastic, Pathways to Twin Peaks by John Thorne. Here we go. Cooper explains that Earl has taken his first pawn in a very sick game. Audrey wants Bobby's help to cure Ben. Leo stalks Shelly in their darkened house. Leo grabs an axe and is about to hit her when Bobby interferes. Shelly stabs Leo in the leg. Leo flees the house into the woods. Hawk reports that Hank is in the hospital and that Leo has run off into the woods. 
Uh, Jeffrey drives away in his Jaguar and crashes. Norma thinks Hank is going back to jail. She wants to get back together with Ed. James tells Evelyn that their relationship is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. (laughs) Cooper reveals some of his past, that he fell in love with Carolyn Earl, Wyndham's wife. Cooper thinks Earl killed Caroline and feigned his madness. Donna meets Evelyn. James is in anguish over his current situation. Jacoby explains Ben's mental state. By reversing the South's defeat, he in turn will reverse his own emotional setbacks. Briggs believes he was taken to the White Lodge and now must lay low. Mayor Milford brandishes a shotgun. Cooper suggests that Lana and the mayor talk things over alone. Milford and Lana resolve their fight. Catherine and Andrew tell Pete that Thomas Eckert is coming to Twin Peaks. Eckert and his assistant, Jones, uh, arrive at the Great Northern. Uh, Truman wants Cooper to check Josie's story. Evelyn says that she loves James as the police arrive. James realizes Evelyn killed Jeffrey and that he has been framed. James escapes with Donna. Leo finds Wyndham... Wyndham Earl waiting in a cabin. And that is our plot summary for Double Play. Uh, first thoughts before we get into the, the kind of scene-by-scene, plot-by-plot. Like uh, initial thoughts on the episode? Yeah. Um, yeah. So as I said, I definitely like this episode a lot more than the last two, uh, two or three or so. I thought this was definitely a major improvement. For me, this episode felt a lot more... Um, a lot more cohesive and I felt that a lot of uh, the scenes flowed into each other better and that there seemed to be an actual driving force this time in the narrative where we actually got more and more detail and eventually a reveal in a very great scene I think at the end of the episode of Wyndham Earl. Um, I thought that the directing was cool. I thought that we got cool insights into the character. That was a pretty good episode. Uh, Yeah I mean I already went a little bit into what I thought but you know, I think you could just call this episode Twin Peaks Treads Water, uh, and that's actually how I feel about a lot of these episodes. Some of them, you get some interesting scenes of them, and some of them are just drags, and this is this was a drag. There was maybe two moments that when you w- read through that plot summary, I was like, okay, I guess that was a fine 30 seconds, but besides that, it just... It, it's not doing it for me, and I'm I'm sitting here looking at the Wikipedia, and it shows how much the ratings are dropping right now in these past few episodes from... Uh, from the, you know, big Arbitrary Law episode, you know, the big three episodes there in season mm-hmm. two, it has since dropped about five million in views per, in just those, these past few episodes. Um, so, I, I think it's it's making sense to me why this show got I think canceled. this is the lowest, I think this is the lowest rated episode. Actually, The Condemned Woman has 7.8 million viewers compared to this with 8.7, so it goes even lower in terms of viewership. Um, okay, yeah, I don't know so. when that is. It's not the next one. But oh, actually, the lowest is the third to last episode with 7.4. So, you know, really? it, wow. it even drops even more in terms of viewership. So, I, I mean, I understand why the show got canceled by ABC. If the production went down that much and it dropped from 19.1 million viewers with the first episode in season two to 7.4 with third to last, it makes sense. Yeah, it was interesting, actually, because I uh, was recently watching an interview um, from... 92 or 91 whenever the whenever season two was coming out whenever wherever we are in terms of episodes and it was david lynch on the letterman show and letterman was you know just openly asking him about the show and addressing the 
as you said, Floyd, the, the decline in viewership, the decline in ratings, and how the popularity was going down, and, you know, what Lynch's thoughts were on that, and Lynch, you know, bounced around it as he usually does, and just kind of made up these funny stories, but he did say that, you know, they were trying to work out some issues, and that they had some ideas planned later on, so that was interesting to see. I know that this is completely off-topic, but I feel like me, the three of us need to have, like, a David Lynch off, where we try to do impressions of David Lynch, and see you can do the best David Lynch voice. <laughs> Ooh. I've never tried it before, yeah. so... Did you see that he revived his uh, weather report series? No, no I did no. not. So, uh, like, back in the mid-90s, I think, around Twin Peaks every day from his L.A. office, he would speak into a camera, a 10-second clip, and he would just read off the weather for L.A. Um, and last week or so, he just released a, a video of him doing it again in his same office, and, like, a bunch of people were freaking out. It's a very Lynch thing. <laughs> That's very David Lynch. It's cloudy. Partly cloudy, 65 degrees. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I love him. That was pretty um, good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, sorry, sorry to get us off track, but yeah, let's get back to the episode. No, that's good, that's good. Um, so yeah, so we start here with this, with what I thought was probably, I don't know, maybe the best scene in the last episode, which is the ending. We, we reveal that Wyndham Earl has killed a guy. Uh, Craig McLaughlin, actually, which I I recognized him, the similarity in you know how they looked this time. Mm-hmm. Same, yeah, yeah. Which I, I think it's a cool layer that like he's supposed to look like like Cooper. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I like, like the the yeah. detail about the stab wound. He's like, you'll see the stab wound is exactly this cutting this artery or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And Cooper That's knows a, like yeah. exactly what it is, yeah. and he says he's the first pawn in a very sick game. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a great opening shot, too. Just that very close-up on the, the bloodied bandage zooming out to reveal the whole body. And yeah, like you said, I love mm. how Cooper just immediately recognizes the signs and knows that this is Wyndham Earl's classic MO. You know, you'll find the body, body up on the cliff. He dragged it down. Um, and I love the fear um, in his voice when he's saying these things. Like You can tell that he has seen this man's power and is afraid of it yeah I, I i like this scene i think it's an interesting start to the episode and definitely probably the high point besides the one other scene that talks about you know Wyndham merle and then eventually to the ending which we get introduced to the actor but i mean yeah this 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 is the interesting stuff right now that is like just beginning to the end of the episode and then we move on so we can stretch out the plot to 22 episodes <laughs> yeah i mean I, i've always felt like this is kind of the plot that keeps the keeps me going through season two yeah. it's interesting it's cool it's mysterious and and this is kind of what i was talking about like there's always at least one plot even if the the show overall kind of drops in quality but i think i think this plot is like on par with most of most of season one it's just that it's not surrounded by anything interesting sure i i disagree with that that it's on par with season one i have to say maybe not not with the laura palmer plot but with some of the other sure yeah it, it is a yeah average subplot b plot in season one it's not nowhere near the laura right. palmer story but, but yeah. it's it's the best now yeah, yeah. No, i agree with that yeah and it's the a plot now which it just shouldn't be but yeah <laughs> i think it's okay i think it works fine as the a plot but that's that's just me yeah but uh fine. so at the great northern uh audrey is kind of talking to bobby and she's saying sexual he, tension he, sexual tension it. and she basically works or he works for her now yeah mm-hmm. is basically what she's saying 
God, I um, love some of the jokes in this scene. I gotta, I gotta be honest. I think it's because, again, as I've talked about a lot, I think Audrey's probably my favorite character in the show. She's mm-hmm. just such a fun. She just has such a fun energy on screen. When she's like, "You need to suck up to me now," and, and Bobby goes, "What about Shelly?" She goes, "What about Shelly?" Like, like he just, she is completely not seeing it in the the relationship in the way that Bobby's seeing it. I love, I love their interaction in this scene. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I mean, what about Shelly? Let's mm-hmm. talk about this next scene. Oh yeah, with, sure, sure, at sure. Shelly's house. Um, I love that it goes right to Shelly after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and this is, I think this, this is probably my favorite scene of the episode. Um, Leo, very cool. Very like all everything hidden in shadow. Um, where a lot of the time we're like only seeing Shelly's face. So we don't know what's going on in the rest of the place. Uh, really well done suspense. Well done action. Um, and I love this this ending where where Bobby intervenes, Shelley stabs Leo in the leg, and he goes off like wandering in the woods. I I really like this. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a a great scene. Um, and because it is scary, while also having that that very classic Twin Peaks cheesy soap opera feel. You know those very over the top lines that Leo was giving. Bad girl. Um, and the way he menacingly walks through. And I love the way they use the set, you know, the plastic walls that me and Logan have talked about before, that very eerie feeling, recalling Laura Palmer, how he rips through it and runs out into the forest, you know, that very mystical place associated with Bob. See, I love that they're... Oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry. I, no, I, I was just going to say, I love that they're using the plastic, because we talked a lot in the beginning about, yep. uh, you know, Laura was wrapped in plastic. This looks kind of like the same, same yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we were thinking maybe... Maybe Leo has some connection to that, but of course we we now know that's that's not necessarily the case. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's cool that they're kind of sticking with that imagery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I part of me likes this scene, but also part of me just felt like it was too little, too late with this storyline. Like the storyline's been going on for fourteen episodes now, and I was ready for this resolution. You know, ten episodes ago, I was you know it, it kind of. It was a cool scene, I agree with you guys, but part of me was just like, I don't care anymore about this storyline. Like, you waited too long to execute this. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, this is why I was sort of defending it before, because I think that the pacing of this plot makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, it there are several episodes where it really goes nowhere, and it is, the this plot is really just treading water, like you said, but... I really like how they wait till now because then it can intersect with Wyndham Earl. Like, as we'll see at the end, I think this is really cool that these two characters are coming together. Um, and so I I like how that happens. Yeah, I agree. I think timing it up with the Wyndham Earl arrival is great because then, I mean, we don't know if Leo dies at the end of this episode, but it definitely positions Wyndham Earl as the new evil force in town, kind of uh, diminishing Leo's power. I hope so. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think Leo needs to come to an end. I think, I think his arc is complete, and I, I would like to see him die. That, that, I think that'll be appropriate. I mean, part again, part of me is like, yes, this is a good storyline, but you took fourteen episodes to get here, and I didn't like. And everything with this show, I like some of these storylines, but the last like twelve episodes of the season definitely could have been condensed into like six and just had a really rock solid six episodes. And instead you're stretching it to to double the length and it just it, it it makes me feel more tired. And when I'm feeling more tired of watching the same thing over and over again, when you finally resolve it, I'm just gonna be like, Yeah, I mean we knew it was going here eventually, especially with Leo being incapacitated. We knew he was eventually gonna gonna get out of that chair. 
And it just felt like it took so long to get there that once the scene actually came, it's like, I already had this played down in my head four episodes ago. No, that's fair. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a great payoff. Uh, so like, I, there, I don't, there really are mind. details in it that I love. I do love the, the cutting of the plastic, that kind of stuff, you know, using the house being, you know, still unfinished worked very well in this scene. Yeah. Um, well, so let's move on to, uh, uh, Hawk. Hawk gives a little briefing, uh, in the sheriff's station and there's some cool effect, uh, cool effects with the camera and the, the lights and the, the flash bulbs. Um, oh yeah. 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 Which is kind of cool. I don't know. It's just that just flashes. It's, it's in the sheriff's station and just flashes and the screen goes like totally white. Yeah, I agree. That's what I was saying before with this episode having a more cohesive feel to it. In previous bad Twin Peaks episodes, it always felt like everything was just standing alone, you know, no scenes were connected, and we lost that sort of feeling that Twin Peaks was a connected town. And I love the flashbulb effect, which is, um, if you listen to it, a nice throwback to our rear window episode. Uh, yeah, flashbulb. Yes. <laughs> go check it out. Um, but yeah, I think this episode just has a better, more connected feel to it, which kept me engaged. And I loved seeing these three characters, Truman, Hawk, and Cooper, all react to the news and the scenes that we have just seen. Yeah, I would say I really like the directing in this episode. Yeah. Um, I just think it's, I I think it's, I think what separates uh, uh, the the episode, whatever it was, two episodes ago, that that we called the low point, from this one, some other people called the low point. Um, I think what separates it is really good directing. Uh, I really like I like what's done with the camera most times. I think there's some there's some cool things there, and uh, for the most part, I like I like what the actors are doing, and yeah, I like the editing. I like the continuity. I think this this flows pretty well, even though there are you know what it's flowing between is often not that exciting. <laughs> yes. It still flows well. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean I agree. The, the the structure is fine in terms of the way the scenes are progressing, but. You also have to be interested in what's happening. But, okay, is this the scene where we find out about, um, what's her name? Caroline? Catherine? Caroline. Who Ca- I, Caroline? Caroline, who I spoiled, like, several episodes ago yeah. without realizing that her name hadn't been said yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this, this is where we get the details, and this is the stuff, again, that I said that I think is quite interesting. Um, so, it officially confirms to us that it's not Diane, whoever Diane is. Yeah, we don't know who Diane is yet. No, right? I don't. I, right. There's nothing, right? I think huh. it's still just a recording. Or a, maybe Diane is just the recording device. <laughs> maybe Diane is just a recording device and we'll never know. But yeah, there, There's nothing yet. We should say, we forgot to say this earlier, but uh, I've seen the show before and the, and the other two haven't. So yeah. we're, we're, not, we're never going to spoil anything past uh, this episode, the episode that we're talking about right now. I, I'm, um, I'm going to go with my the theory beginning. that she's a recording device. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought this was a good, uh, pretty good scene. I love getting the details on his past. Yeah. And I love the very cheesy feel to it, right? I love the fade-in photo of Caroline in the back mm. with her hair flowing in the wind. Very soap opery, but yeah, yes, yes. very soap opery. Um, but I mean, it was definitely a twist I did not see coming. This whole, you know, that that was Wyndham Earl's wife that he was supposed to protect, that he yeah. loved, that Wyndham had committed the crime that originally. Um, was done that they needed to protect his wife and then he murdered his wife but now he's feigning insanity just these crazy twists which i thought was really cool 
again, I still want to see, I want this storyline to be part of Firewalk with me. I know, I know Firewalk with me is also partially about Laura because she's on the cover, but I want at least something from this because if it's a prequel, you know, this is the storyline with Cooper that is so interesting before the show starts. Yeah. I mean, I've spoken before about how the supernatural element of the show, about how Bob is always the thing that draws me to it. So I'm interested to see if they if they bring Bob into this Wyndham Earl storyline, because we kind of heard that Bob had knowledge of this before with uh, Leland's death scene. Um, and yeah, I wonder how much of this is going to be included in Firewalk with me. Interesting questions ahead of us. <laughs> Actually, I think this is... Um, the, the, the Caroline thing does happen much later, but oh, know, my bad. it's okay. It's, it's fine that we talked about it now. doesn't matter too much. Um, this scene is basically just Hawk coming in and giving like a briefing, like just telling them what happened mm. with Leo. Uh, he says, oh, Hank right, right, got right, hit yeah. by a, got hit by a truck or something like that. Yeah. Nadine truck. <laughs> uh, yeah, but this is a good scene and this speaks to what I was talking about before about how this yeah. episode feels so connected. I love seeing these. You know, two characters that the show focalizes around that we identify with the most, Truman and Cooper, learning about these news, um, hearing, you know, the stories from the scenes that we just saw. And it gave this episode a very connected structure, something that I thought was majorly lacking from most other episodes of the show in season two. Um, They all felt very separate from each other. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that. You pointing that out that this this episode's well structured. I'll, I'll give you that. I, I'm I'm not going to complain about the structure of this and how it's edited. It's well done. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. Um, but let's let's go to Ed. Um, we were just talking about talking about Hank. Um, who, oh, wait, Hank no, is apparently first... going to jail, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So so Hank is going back to jail. This is we're going out of order, but but this is okay because it it makes sense to talk about this now. So Hank is going to jail. Because um, he broke parole, apparently, and finally, uh, I've been waiting for this. I know, me too. I was <laughs> ready for his storylines to tree, drop. A tree fell on him. Is uh, <laughs> is the story? A, Nad- a Nadine tree. Yeah. But um, Ed is talking with Doc Hayward, and it's a pretty weird scene. Ed says that he wakes up every morning feeling like oh, he's God. been hit by a timber truck. Okay, so I'm, here's I'm sure you love this. Here's what I don't understand <laughs> about this relationship between Ed and Nadine now. So she comes when she comes home. It seems like she thinks that that's like her dad almost. Oh God. Like, no, I don't think so. Well, because like she's always talking about like Eddie, can I do this? Eddie, can I do that? Like she's <laughs> talking to him like he's her like dad in high school. But then also they're talking about like how she is just railroading him at the end of the night, <laughs> which is just like literally I railroading. Need, I need train. some more clarity of what this relationship's supposed to be, especially now that they're setting up with Norma that Ed and Norma are going to be a thing, and and Nadine wants to date other, like wants permission to date other boys. I'm so confused by their relationship that when that line happened, I was like, I didn't think that this was happening. It makes me a little uncomfy. There's a really funny scene in the next episode with the three of them, with Ed, Norma, and, and Nadine. That Great! Boy. I'm so excited I, for I Nadine to really be back on screen. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. I, I know you don't like seeing Nadine, but it's it'll it'll be balanced out by Ed and Norma. So. Okay, good. Um, yeah, no, I think uh, <laughs> to clarify, she definitely doesn't think that he's like her dad. Okay, because because she you're you're right that he, she some of the lines might sort of imply that, but I think at one point she asks like, "Where are my parents?" And he's like, "Oh, they're out of town." Oh, so then right. so so in that sense, she's they just not have a literally very odd convinced. Relationship. 
Yeah, she's not convinced that he's actually her father, but th- you're right that it is a little weird. It has some daddy subtext. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Almost like a sugar daddy at this point, because she doesn't have a job. She just lives yeah. at his house. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Doc Hayward explains. Doc Hayward explains it's the extra adrenaline. That's why she's so uh, horny oof. all the time. Um, yeah. I yeah. guess. Or the fact that she just uh, basically thinks she's a teenager again. That That always helps. That True. always helps, yeah. Um, so Ed and Norma plan for the future a little bit. They want to get—I forget what they say. They want to like move to a cabin and get some venison steaks and sparkling wine. I mean, that sounds dinner. good. I'll take some venison. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's yeah. cute. They're all, I've always felt like they were like the maximum amount of soap opera in this show. Like they are the soap opera couple. Like you're just waiting for them to finally get together, and they're cute. You know, it's it's not a great storyline, but it's they're it's a good enough one that they're they're cute, and you want to see them finally get together, which it seems like they're going to. Oh yeah, they're yeah. great. Yeah. Um. So the next we we skipped a super brief scene with uh, James talking to Jeff Marsh. Ah uh, yes. About. Uh, very uh, very terrible scene. Oh, what are you talking about? This is this is iconic. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking guy. It, is. it 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 feels long. It feels long. It feels like um, it's an eternity. No, this isn't I don't I don't think this is nearly as bad as the scene that we're getting later that we'll talk about. But they oh, talk sure. about their mutual love and Yeah, and she's standing there behind him like eh and then he's like the eh? car. The car. Oh my god, I hate this scene. But I guess we do get introduced to Jeffrey in this scene. For one scene, and then he's fucking dead. <laughs> and, then, and then he dies, yep. <laughs> I feel like he was... This was one of the better scenes, I think, with James, in terms of his acting, you know, since the Laura Palmer story has been done. Like, I feel like he actually had a lot of stuff under the surface. Again, that might just be James being James. But, like, I don't know. I feel like this wasn't a noticeably bad James performance in this scene. Sure, he was a little bit better, I guess. Maybe yeah, because he, all they, he had to do was be like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I'm gonna go. But I think what they've done with James is, uh, throughout season one, they kind of layered, they kept layering stuff on top, and he, I feel like he really carried all of that with him through his performance, and you could always feel, like, the entirety of his past, really. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And now with this, it's like, he's just basically reverted to, like a very like there's there's none of that depth anymore yeah mm-hmm. uh, and, and so and here's he's the just thing kind of has like about the storyline like is this gonna again we have uh, we haven't seen it. is this gonna even go anywhere like obviously james is gonna get pursued by the police and then they'll find out that you know the weird brother boyfriend whatever i don't know what that character's name is um malcolm, uh, malcolm uh that he was the one that did it you know and he'll get resolved but like i don't know how this I just want this storyline to tie into something else at some point, other than just Donna going to rekindle her relationship with James, which maybe that's all it is, but I hope it's more. See, honestly, I'd prefer if they just left it um, and never returned to this, because this is just terrible. I say they just cut their losses. Um, I don't need to know where this goes. I don't need to see Malcolm again. I'm good. I appreciate I appreciate wanting it to tie into other stuff, but yeah, I would have to agree with Matt. I think it's better at this point to just like... Cut your losses and realize, <laughs> yeah. we wasted a lot of time on that. Now let's not waste any more time trying <laughs> yes. to make it, like... See, but yeah. I feel like once, if you give it any sort of resolution, they'll be like, okay, some of that wasn't wasted time. <laughs> if you're like, what, if they if they were like, oh, Jeffrey Marsh owned the train car that Laura was killed in or something no. like that. No, not, I don't even, I don't see it. Again, <sighs> I don't know how to write this into, like, making sense with the rest of the show, but, like... Yeah, give me something, some morsel that this ties yeah. in somewhere. No, it's fair. It's fair. Um, 
let's move on to uh, uh, I guess another another what is happening here? Another oh, long okay. pause. We've already talked about that. We've talked about that. Oh, uh, Cooper and Truman uh, talking about Caroline and Earl. We've already talked about this, but yes. what I wrote down about this scene is that I like how much they're they're kind of hyping up Wyndham Earl as like a bad guy, and they're kind of like I really like the effect of just talking about him and then like showing shots of the woods. Like I think that that's great. It it adds like a really mystifying sense to him. Yeah, I completely agree. It's very, it's a very scary scene because he talks about him in this very grandiose terms, you know, saying you do not know his power, you you do not know what he is capable of. And, I mean, they are really, really hyping him up. And, I mean, the scene at the end where we see him for the first time is amazing. I mean, I think he's really great and I think he has a lot of potential. I just hope, I hope they deliver on that potential. Um, And he actually is this truly terrifying villain. And I'm interested to see where they take this with Bob, you know, is bob connected this in any way i mean to try to get back to the laura palmer storyline because i want to get back to that as much as i can with this storyline like i hope that Wyndham earl is the new version of bob that like you know because cooper was there when bob left leland and so maybe instead of latching onto cooper maybe it latched onto its worst enemy i don't know Mm. just an idea i i just i'm i'm i want i I know that I said some of the supernatural stuff doesn't quite work for me, but now that we've gone away from it for so long, it makes me like think like just give me something interesting with the you know with the Bob character or something, something to that effect. Where I hope like especially because Leo's wandering through the woods and then Wyndham's in the woods, which is the you know association with the supernatural in this show. And again, I have to say in this episode, I don't know if we're gonna are we gonna wait to talk about Major Briggs? Uh, no, gonna... let's do it now. Okay. I mean, so yeah, we can go out of order. It your really theory, matter. Matt, about him being a uh, an owl was in my brain during this episode, and I was like, you know what? I think he might be right. Okay. <laughs> I think he might be right. Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think there are definitely a lot of scenes in this episode that you can read that way, um, especially the one at the end where we see the owl flying through the woods, and it, it, it sees Leo kind of going towards this cabin. Because we we always see uh, we always hear Briggs talking about these things that we've never seen him acquire the knowledge of, right? So it always seems like he has these ways of figuring out information. Um, I guess the other scene where we see the owl here, where the owl is outside uh, Leo and Shelley's house as Leo is attacking Shelley, that kind of makes me think that the owl is Bob, because it seems more like a uh, some ominous force watching this terrible thing happen and doing nothing, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see what you're saying, Floyd, and I'm glad to hear that you like the theory. <laughs> the reason that I said that is because, like, he, he goes in and out of these scenes so much, and we never really see, like, the owl in, in <laughs> Major Breaks are never seen in the same room at the same time, but also, <laughs> like... <laughs> But it just always seems like when we get a dip in Major Briggs, we get an insert of the owl. Like, it just kind of seems like they always line up that when one leaves, the other comes back. And especially with this one scene in this in this episode when he, like, just kind of, like, bro- busts into the police department and just kind of passes out. It makes me think that he maybe just flew in from seeing something. And then <laughs> and boy, his arm's back. tired. Exactly. And boy, his, uh, his arm's <laughs> tired. We get the, you know, you know reference back to ben horn which maybe maybe that is supposed to be a clue i don't know um but i don't know i I actually think i bought into it this episode i'm like hey you know what i think you might be right this show's weird enough to do it i think the most i think the selling point for me on that theory not that i'm totally sold on it but like i think the best observation that goes along with that 
is that we never really see Briggs learning anything. He always just knows everything, like yeah. he's already been observing and watching. Yeah, no, that's true, Logan. Um, but I like to think about the scene in the logical sense too, right? Because um, I think you could read it in the far-fetched owl idea. But I also like to think that Briggs is so shaken, so shaken to his core by finding out, as he says, that his superiors are not ideologically pure, that their motives are not, um, uh, you know, spotless, that they are kind of ruled by paranoia and they don't really believe him in this situation. So I like to think that that is the reason why he literally needs a glass of water before he can talk about it. So is that why you think he's stumbling here? Because uh-huh, I really yeah. couldn't figure it out. Huh. I was like, why is he stumbling? Why does he literally like pass out at Lucy's desk? I don't know. Yeah, that's what I like to think. I don't know, because we know yeah. he has a very uh, strict worldview. And I think if, for him to have that broken would be devastating. And you know what? You know what? I'm going to cling to the more interesting theory that he's in hell because I want something interesting. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, so, but let's hop back to the scene uh, before this, which is actually two scenes before, where Donna and Evelyn uh, meet at the bar and they're talking. Um, and I don't know. No- nothing. It's a snoozer. Really happens. Yeah. It's a real snoozer. Uh, but they really lean into just you and I. Oh, uh, my God, I know. This, they play... this montage of, like, James sitting in the corner of the garage, like, oh, no. I was just like, Jesus it's Christ. It's wrong. What, is, <laughs> what has happened to Twin Peaks that we are at this moment? Exactly. And it's so short, too. Like, it's not even that long yeah. of a clip. <laughs> but they, they've done the background parts of that before, and they've used that in scenes, but now they actually use James's voice, which I always forget how ridiculous it is. Whenever no, I that wasn't it. James's voice. That was a girl's no. voice, wasn't it? No, that's James. Yep. That's James. Oh, my God. James Marshall, yeah. It's it's bad. <laughs> I thought that was a female voice. No, that's they tell the story in this book. Basically, like James Marshall was just like playing guitar on on set one day, and uh, either like Mark Frost or David Lynch was like, "Hey, we gotta get you. We gotta like have you sing in this in this uh, in this show." I hope it wasn't and David then, Lynch. I I hope I trust his creative decisions better than that. And then he, but well. I mean, apparently he was, like, pretty good, but then they just did it in a key that he couldn't sing in at all. Yeah. And no, they were we like, well, mm-hmm. well, sorry, we already recorded the guitar part. Like, they recorded, so they, they saw him recording, and then they were like... Just cut it, just cut it then, just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> they saw him recording the guitar, or, or, sorry, they saw him playing the guitar. Then they were like, hey, we have to record you singing so you can play the guitar on screen. And then they just recorded a guitar part of someone else doing it so that James could sing, which doesn't make sense because that wasn't even the original thing that they that they wanted him to do. And they made it in a key that he couldn't uh, sing in. So he was doing this like extremely thin falsetto that that is very funny. But like, I guess David Lynch liked the effect that it gave. Like, of course, James wouldn't be a, you know, a perfect singer. He's just a he's just James. See, it was and... a good scene back when it was, like, him, Donna, and Madeline. But yeah. now, it's just, the fact that you're bringing it back as, like, some love ballad in this show is just like, dude, that is not the point. That was not right. the point of that song. Evelyn uh-huh. is not as important as uh, Madeline Maddie was. And but again, what's... justice for Maddie. Justice for Maddie. I feel like, Justice again, for Maddie. There's nothing for Maddie. And also, justice yeah. for Donna. I mean, the way that her character yeah. is just completely uh, stripped of any interesting agency or plot lines or anything in this uh, second half of season two is devastating because 
We've talked about this. She was such an integral part of the Laura Palmer storyline and one of my favorite characters in it. I thought she's, I think she's a fantastic actor. But now all she does is uh, she's been reduced to just asking about James. Where's James? And just following a James around and just constantly fretting about that. But I want her to do more. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty ridiculous. I, I feel like there's just not... I feel like a lot of Donna's character was wrapped around the Laura Palmer storyline. And as soon as you take that away, she's just another girl in the town that we had to invest in because it's kind of the same with James, which is why I wanted to tie in, which is like yeah. James and Donna were integral parts of the Laura Palmer story. And as soon as you resolve that, they're basically just other people in this town that I just, you know, there's not, you know, you, you could have dropped these characters. I don't think you needed them anymore because you're just mm. stretching them out into plot lines that aren't needed. And if you can't give them something that's interesting beyond Laura, you should just cut them and focus on more interesting characters. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's kind of true. Um, yeah, I think it's weird when we think about how the significance in, uh, the significance of this song, as bad as it is, the significance of it was to, I, I think, to pretty much uh, set the tone of that scene as it, when it was used back in the back in the first season or early second two maybe I don't, I don't, know. I don't remember um, when it's used to kind of set the tone that then gets shattered with then then we have like Bob climbing over the couch. Which is a great shot, great scene yeah. of Maddie just completely freaking out. But those two things happen like right in a row, um, which Kinda is strange. Give you whiplash, but... which is great, which was mm-hmm. great. Yeah. yeah, and it's really well done, Whiplash. And here it's just like it's just using this song to like go over a scene of of James like pouting. Like it's so weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's completely lost its power. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about uh, let's go back to B plot Ben at. The Great Northern. B-plot um, Ben. Oh, yeah. And Jacoby actually gives a, a pretty good description of what's going on with him, how he has to he has to reverse the results of the Civil War to reverse his own defeats in his Yeah, mind. I could have told and, you that. You didn't need Jacoby to spell it out for me. I got it. <laughs> and, yeah. And even with, like, even with that, like, I know there's an explanation, but this still just seems so weird and unnecessary and... There are better ways to convey this. I oh think. my god, dude. When you were like, dude, you can like this one scene with Ben looking at, you know, his old childhood things, yeah. but it goes downhill from here. You were fucking right. This is some bullshit that they did to Ben. <laughs> like, what the hell, guys? What? Who thought this was a good idea, writing this down? Like, who was sitting in the writer's room was like, you know what? Let's have him become obsessed with the Confederate Army and have him play out the World War II, think that he's become a general, and then play it out with miniatures. Like, what? Huh? Apparently. How did you get? How did you get this from that scene of him, like, re- having regrets about his life to, like, this bullshit? I don't yep. know. Yeah. Apparently, according to the essential wrapped in plastic Pathways to Twin Peaks by John Thorne, the real reason is because Ken Burns' uh, Civil War documentary oh series was airing on PBS just before oh, these scripts no. were written. The documentary was a huge hit and captured the imagination of much of the country. The writers of Twin Peaks were probably caught up in the excitement and wanted to find some way to incorporate that enthusiasm into Twin Peaks. That's the worst answer you could have given. It is the worst answer you could have given because it doesn't relate at all. It's just like something that's popular at the time. Uh, that is not good. <laughs> that was the worst well, but, one. But here's a little bit of a here's a little bit of a better answer. The Civil War is in essence a battle between opposing sides of a single entity, which works with the it, that kind of works with like the thematic material of Twin Peaks. I think it sure. it ties in nicely to that. But the fact that this was like 
at the nicely same time. Is a key, nicely is a, a kind word to use there, but sure. Yeah, and the fact that, like, Ben's not showed interest in the Civil War before. Yep, nothing, this. just completely out of their ass. It's just the fact that Ken Burns did a documentary. That's so, that's so it's, terrible. Which is terrible. That's so bad. Oh my god. And it would have been fine. Like, it was fine. I think for the very first episode when we saw it, but now that they're just stretching it out and he hasn't done anything, it's so bad. Or even if the the Catherine scene pulled him out and he's yeah. like, okay, I'm better now, but he had the Catherine scene and then went back to the, to the Civil War stuff. Yeah, completely. And it's, he's just been at this same level for the entire, for these past four episodes and it's so <laughs> painful to watch. We're not seeing him grow at all. It just seems like the, the writers don't know what they want to do. This is just, just completely inconsequential. And also, I mean, there's a sort of intrinsic tension from the fact that he is rooting for the Confederate Army, identifying with them, and singing these songs about the land of the cotton. Um, you know, there, there's definitely a, a sort of tension and anxiety there. But it, Yeah, it was kind of gross. Yeah, and the thing is, they don't do anything with it. Like, okay, this is obviously, like, provocative, but for what reason? What is this telling us about Ben other than the exposition that Dr. Jacoby just spews at us? <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I have to say that I'm I'm super disappointed. I mean, in so many things with the writers of this show, but the, what they did with Ben's character, especially after having all those revelations about who Ben was and what he did with, you know, uh, what was it, Jax, right? Jax is what it's called? Yeah, One Jack, Jax. Ja- no, yeah, yeah, Jax, and then also with Laura, revealing that he had a sexual relationship with Laura. Like, he was a super... Yeah. He loved her? Yeah, and loved her. Like, there was so much that you introduced with Ben, like, the the regret then, again, that I love that love that scene from back earlier in season two with him watching the old videos, that you could have done so much with this, and the fact that you just pull a Ken Burns documentary out of your ass <laughs> is so frustrating, and it shows me so much that these writers just completely were just fishing for any sort of material that they could to fill 22 episodes. I agree with you. Yeah, but uh, I want to mention... One kind of funny thing about this scene that I don't know if you guys realize, but um, uh, Robert Engels is a he's a very frequent like writer on the show uh, or maybe director. I don't know. He says uh, his favorite moment. The one I think about every once in a while is when Richard Boehmer and Russ Tamblin uh, are singing Dixie together. When they finished that scene, I think Russ said to Richard, you know, I haven't sung with you since West Side Story. I didn't even oh. think of that when I was writing it. I mean, I was I was always aware that those two were in West Side Story, but I didn't think of that. Never crossed my mind. Oh. Dr. Jacoby and Ben Horn were, were oh. Ru- Riff and Tony in West Side Story. and they Wait, were... what? Jo- Dr. Jacoby was Riff? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I have that Blu-ray sitting over there. I need to watch it at some point. So they were singing together again. Yeah, we should... Uh, that's nice. Talk about that. It yeah. is. I totally forgot about that. We, maybe we'll do a back in style episode on the West Side Story. Because <laughs> it has two of the same cast members. Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll do all of the supporting characters' uh, individual filmography, just everything. Yes, just their entire filmography for back in style. As a, after we run out of episodes on season three, we'll just do every every single thing that could tie into back into Twin Peaks in any which way. That would be. Ooh, these two yeah. movies share an extra, so let's talk about that movie. Man, I, I, I really wish this was a better scene, though, that the two of them could have a singing reunion. Yeah, <laughs> or not a Dixieland song that they were singing. Yeah, no, completely. Yeah. But, okay, what I think is really weird, going back to Major Briggs, because uh, this Major Briggs scene comes right after this, where he's stumbling, and uh, the the music that they were singing continues into the next scene. A very weird sense of flow and continuity, and using a, a theme that has 
nothing to do with what's about to happen. Major Briggs stumbling into the sheriff's station and falling down. But then, there's something even weirder. That after Briggs says that he believes that he was he went to the White Lodge, Dr. Jacoby is in this conference room with Lana, and he says he's been there with her, or he spent the last 24 hours with her. Yep. And he doesn't was make just sense, does with it? Jacoby. Yep, doesn't make sense, does doesn't it? Doesn't work. I don't get it at all. Because I feel like this is an epitome of, like, bad, like, this, this these writers not knowing what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. And it's not just that, like, is, you know, maybe, maybe the scene with Ben was, like, more than a day ago, uh-huh. and now she's just, I don't know. And but now, the music transitions that, to make you think it's happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, the music transitioned, and that's what makes it flow so well, and makes you think that, like, it's happening right after, like, at the same time. And it just doesn't make any but sense. Dr. Like, Jacoby was supposed to be fucking at that right. time. Yeah, Dr. Jacoby was supposed to be fucking, so how could he have been singing with Ben? Exactly. Um, doesn't make sense. Maybe Dr. Jacoby has a twin. And using the, mm, maybe an evil twin theory to make this more of a soap opera. Exactly. <laughs> it's just so weird to use that music in a way that doesn't make sense to begin with, but then also actively like causes an issue with how yeah. we perceive this episode. Yeah, I agree. Very yeah, let's strange. talk about this weird scene. Yeah, let's do it. Dwayne comes in. Dwayne Milford comes in with a shotgun. Yep. And then... Just... Okay, so is she, is she supposed to be supernatural, or is she just supposed to be that hot? Because, like, I mean, she's an attractive woman, but, like, I don't know why, like, she is, like, this, like, sexual being in this show that, like, everyone just gets raptured by. Well, I'll answer your question with another question. Is Nadine really super strong, or is she just, like, is she mm. supernatural, or is she just, like, jacked? I think she's supernatural. Same. Yeah. So, like, there are things in this episode, or in this in kind of this portion of season two that are not the supernatural that we've encountered. It's not the White Lodge. It's not the giant. It's not the the little man. It's not it's superheroes. Um, it's not Bob. <laughs> yeah, it's superheroes, but only two of them. And their powers are super strength and super seduction. Super, super sexy. Sex. Yeah. yeah. I feel like maybe she's supposed to be like a siren. And maybe Nikki. Maybe. Right. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like, oh, let's, let's kind of let some of this, some of these supernatural elements seep into these backward back background plots. That's what but I'm saying. Like, like, is she supposed explain. to be like a mermaid type, like siren type thing that just has this like aura around her that like just draws men in to then you know kill them? <laughs> yeah, I don't. This scene is kind of baffling. I will say I do, um, I do kind of enjoy it. I, I I like it when they all when they all burst in, um, and everyone. So it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. And I like it when they're all like enamored by her and. But then they realize that like Jacoby's in love with her and they're going bowling together. But yeah, as you said, Logan, um, they're the supernatural elements. They're extending it to other supporting characters, but but just in such a lesser way and so much more lighthearted and not as nearly as deep as the Laura Palmer. Well, here's here's another moment that makes me think that she's a siren. Sorry, just you mentioning when they burst in. Yeah. When they go when when the new couple leaves. I feel like Sheriff Truman just kind of, like, snaps out of it. He's like, oh, man, I could use a drink. Who wants a drink? Like, that's what I'm saying, like, where it just seems like... And especially because Cooper, like... Cooper seems like the least sexual person in this show. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he was, like, mm-hmm, with her <laughs> makes me think that, like, there is something going on. Because, like, obviously Cooper, like, had a relationship with... What's her name before? Caroline. And uh-huh. that, you know, it was hinted at that... It, 
hinted at that he might have a relationship eventually with Audrey, but he's just, he's never really gone through with anything in this show. Like, he's been the the only person I can think of that hasn't had a sexual relationship in some way in this show, and even then he's still pulled into this woman. Yeah, that, that's true. Like, I'm not, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm not forgetting anything, right? With Cooper. I don't Having think so. a relationship with anyone. I don't think no, so, yeah. right? No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's a goofy scene. It is a goofy scene. It is. But, but it kind of works. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I like the part where they're all waiting outside the door and it cuts yeah. and they're waiting for the, Yeah, that was a funny break. line. Yeah, after the, that very obvious commercial, commercial break, yeah. Yeah, the commercial, yeah. yeah. Um, so next we get what I think is probably the most the most soap opera scene of the whole thing. With the exception of Pete's... Pete has forgotten the weenies. Uh, oh, yeah, that was funny. Which he calls beef with skin on or something oh like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was... Uh, I didn't like that. Why would you... But <laughs> He Catherine, is a weenie. I feel, like, I feel like of any character in this show, he's a weenie. Oh, big weenie, yeah. Uh, Am I wrong? Maybe. Like, is, is there any other person in this show that you would put the adjective weenie on? Uh, Mike is kind of a weenie. Okay, Mike right, is kind of right. a weenie. Fair, fair. I think Mike's a weenie. There's I still a, feel like I still feel like Pete's number one weenie. <laughs> Pete might be number one weenie. We should do a, a ranking, and you can quote um, me on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a ranking on our Instagram of which Twin Peaks characters are are the most weenie. <laughs> There's definitely a character in season three that is such a weenie. I'm excited for him. Jeez, so right. get excited! I'm excited for and everything with season three. Just knowing that, like. It's all Mark Frost and David Lynch writing. It's all yeah. David Lynch directing. I'm just like, I'm ready. I'm just get me there. <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a contest competition between the two of you. If you can guess once we start watching season three, who is the weenie? Who is the weenie? Is it? Oh, is then it not? Get... Is it not directly revealed that he's a weenie when he is brought on screen? I'm assuming it's a he. I mean, no, he's kind of a weenie the whole time. Okay, there's a weenie. <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to Andrew um, Packard. Yeah, speaking of weenies, though, let's bring it back. Uh, to Pete, um, there's a, the classical music playing throughout this whole scene, which I this very much sells it as just being really soap opera. Like this literally sounds like the soundtrack to Invitation to Love. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Like they're they're actually like using that. I feel like uh, maybe it's not the exact same thing, but I don't mind it because this plot has always been, in my opinion, the most soap opera plot. Like no one's ever dead. Everyone's related. Everyone's conspiring against everyone else. Like. It's just always kind of had that. But uh, what do you guys think about this scene? Yeah, it was fine. Um, I mean, I like the Pete stuff, but it's just, I just frankly, I just don't really care about this plot line at all. Um, because yes, it's very soap opery, but it, it, it doesn't draw me in and I don't feel like there's any charm to it because, I mean, obviously you're not really, the point isn't really to remember all the details and I think they kind of want to get you lost in just the, uh, overload of like crossing uh, character paths and people coming back to life and dying but it just because i don't really understand everything i always forget it and whenever it comes up i just don't care yeah i when they first reintroduced andrew i'm like oh that's interesting and then again they waited too long and i don't care anymore so that's how i feel about it yeah in a couple episodes there's a little bit of a payoff i hope so yeah but i don't know that we'll find i mean we'll talk about it uh we'll get there (laughs) <laughs> we'll get there yeah We've if you've time. if you've seen the show before you know what i mean with this the payoff with this plot it's weird and it's uh, oh god please don't be more incest 
Okay. That's all I have to say with this show. Every time there's a relationship that, they, like, another pair of siblings are brought on screen and you're like, there's a weird payoff, I just, my brain is like, not. <laughs> Please, not Oh, no, no, incest. no, no. Okay, don't worry, don't worry. Okay. Um, well, I think we learned in this episode that Malcolm is not Evelyn's brother. I know, but they still implied incest at they first. They still implied Like, that's it. what I'm saying. Like, they just, they keep coming back to they it did. for some they weird did. reason. They're like, every, every time there's a, there's any sort of... Brother or sister, I'm just like, please, please do not have sex. I feel like whoever wrote uh, the the last episode, Harley Payton, I feel like Harley Payton wanted, because uh, that was the scene with with Malcolm and Evelyn kissing, right? Yeah, they were, they were yeah. going, they're like, come on, more incest. Yeah, and and then, and then, uh, uh, frickin' Scott Frost was just like, like no, no let's, let's explain that away. Let's, let's not do that for a third time, or however many times, yeah. Yeah. Damn it, Scott. Yeah. Too much incest here. But yes, um, I agree. You know, that's uh it was the nineties. I, I would argue that like anything beyond e- even Leland with Laura is pretty disturbing. And anything beyond that you're just going towards the realm of like, dude, you just need to calm your shit down. <laughs> just bring it down. Yeah. No, I agree. But uh uh let's let's bring it back around. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um No, it's good. Uh Hayward brings Lucy, Dick, and Andy into it looks like Truman's office, I think, to I talk think so. about little Nikki. And apparently Nikki isn't a murderer. Hmm. That we know of. Exactly. That we know of. Yeah, but I like this scene. I think their reactions are I funny. I like the reactions. I like. Mm-hmm. I think the camera is kind of like panning around the office or something like that. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it, it's a fun scene. Um, uh, as I said, I've kind of grown to love Dick and Andy, even if this plot line mm. is a bit super, superfluous. And the music is interesting because they have, I think... Uh, I think Laura Palmer's theme, where there's some classic Twin Peaks music in there, which is I gotta disagree. Interesting. Uh, I, I gotta, gotta say, disagree. I hated this scene. <laughs> well, let me just talk about the music for a minute because I, I don't normally like when they use like the Laura Palmer theme to to yes, be like, things that aren't related to Laura. Mm, it's like, fair. it's like how uh, in Episode Nine of Star Wars they use when Luke is. Uh, Luke's Force Ghost is lifting the the X-Wing. and they use Yoda. They use Yoda's theme just because yeah. it played when when Yoda lifted the X wing. Like it's now not Yoda's theme; it's just lifting the X wing theme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now that just happens whenever anyone lifts. It's a lifting ship. an X wing out of a out of a body of water scene. <laughs> yeah, and now it feels like Laura Palmer's theme is just like anything. Sad theme. Yeah, it's just the sad mm-hmm. theme, um, which I don't necessarily like. But yeah, it's I frustrating. Think I don't know. Kind of works in this scene, but it's a little bit misleading because it feels like there's, feels like there's like some connection. Yeah, it's fair. Here's what I don't like about this scene, which is frustrating that this is happening so often in this show that it is just exposition dump after exposition dump. Like, I, why does everything need to be people sitting down in a room and explaining things at this point? Like, it just seems like everything is just exposition dump in terms of dialogue instead of actually just having to play out. And if this is the end of the Nikki storyline, like seriously, this is it. This is all we got. He's just a normal kid. That's it. Like, really? Come on, guys. You you set this up for so long just for him to be a just a, a sad kid and that neither of these guys are going to be good fathers. Like, I could have told you that a long time ago that neither of these guys were going to be good fathers. <laughs> Jeez. Well, really, when we get to the end of this episode, what happened in this episode? Some stuff Nothing. with Leo? Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, Leo, Leo meets Wyndham Earl. Again, this and- last scene is probably about it. And mostly people just talked. And because mm-hmm. the dialogue is bad, the episode feels bad. Okay, so we have two right. scenes left to talk about, yeah. right? So, we, we have... so speaking of the dialogue, uh, yeah. James and Donna, or uh, James and Evelyn. Yep. Here we go. Yes, let's talk about it's this. Wrong. 
Yeah, do you, what do you have Because I'm say, married? Obviously? Yes! <laughs> oh my gosh, the writing in this scene is so bad. It, oh, it's, it, it is one of the worst scenes in Twin Peaks in recent memory. Yeah. But it also just raises so many questions, like who tinkered with the car? I, I'm assuming Malcolm. So then why, I guess Malcolm, why do yeah. they need James? So she could take the fall. So he could take the fall. Okay, okay, I see. But it's interesting, like, are, are we gonna... And because it makes it seem like she she's developed feelings for him or something. Is she going to help him? Is she going to report this to the police? No, when she tells him to run, I'm assuming that means like, sorry, I love you, but I can't help you. Okay. All right. I see. I think I don't think she needed him for the car. I think she just needed his big old horse hog. No, <laughs> really? I see. I feel like that was just a nice bonus for her. <laughs> the horse hog was a bonus. Yeah, I think so. Maybe. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I think it was like, oh, I need this kid to, you know, take the fall f- for murdering my husband. But I'll take the but horse also hog is... he's got a horse hog, so like that'll be nice to have in the meantime. Like side dish horse hog. Yeah, Andre was tinkering yeah, no, with the car. Yeah, Malcolm was like is like her main course right now, and like James is her side bitch. He's got a nice <laughs> okay. horse hog. Yeah. Does Malcolm have a horse hog? I mean, yeah. we don't know. Probably not because no he's a murderer. Mm. You know, tiny pee pee. True. Murderers have tiny peepees. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. <laughs> heard it here first. Um, but yeah, this scene sucks. It's not good at all. Yeah. <laughs> and it ends and I go, okay, why should I care? Twin Peaks season two, why should I care? No, yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, you've built this up for a couple episodes. You've established this as something very intriguing that I should be interested in. And it just disappears like this. And it, I, I don't, I don't care at all. <laughs> just please kill me. Have it be over. One of the goofiest moments of this show so far is when he just walks out of the house with all the cops' cars right there and just walks past the cop cars and just leaves. <laughs> like, what? Excuse yeah. me? What? <laughs> I don't uh, know. So obnoxious. Um, it doesn't. It well, doesn't. and yeah. James is in his bedroom packing a suitcase. And then he leaves it. And then he just leaves it. Yeah. So one question is, why did he leave the suitcase? The second question is, where the hell did he get a suitcase and all of his belongings? He rode in on his motorcycle. Oh my god, you're right. Without bringing hell? anything. Yep. And then he packed a suitcase, and then he didn't take the suitcase. So, so he yep. was going to rob them. He took their suitcase and was going <laughs> to rob some clothes from them. So he left with the same amount that he came with, but he got some stuff in between? I don't know, dude. There's no explanation, I don't think. <laughs> I guess. And he left the basketball game going. He didn't even watch to finish the end of it oh, i know it's so frustrating <laughs> who yeah. won the game but but let's go to another let's go to another unanswered question leo johnson going yes, through the this woods is interesting. Yes. this is why this is apparently uh an homage to frankenstein oh. uh kind of sure. wandering through the woods yeah. coming across, across the cabin um which i think makes sense leo's in a in a like kind of defunct mental state and I mean he's uh, always been in a defunct mental state but sure that's true Ben comes across this this like genius evil genius guy who we see for the first time um I was hoping he would be a big actor but you know it's it's TV in the 90s so I guess sure. not right but I think Kenneth Welsh Ken but uh Kenneth Welsh is the actor's name which I said horribly wrong a second ago um but he I think he's really good yeah he's I think menacing. he's really good yeah. as tomorrow um Scary, and even in this yeah. scene you can start to see that he's just he's got that like he knows what it's supposed to be um seems like he's and, accruing 
you know, pieces for his chessboard. You know what I'm uh-huh. saying? I feel like yeah. he's accruing the evil people. Hopefully he'll get more of his, like, bad guy team together from Twin Peaks to be like, these will be my chess pieces for for Cooper. Yeah. So, since we don't have the Laura Palmer question anymore to ask at the end of every episode, I want to kind of start messing around with different questions to ask. To, okay. To, to set up future episodes. But um, my question for this one is just, what are you... What are you hoping to see moving forward with Leo and Wyndham? Matt, you can go first. Okay. Um, I'm looking for them to uh, give this storyline enough significance. I'm hoping that Wyndham Earl's character, the actor, delivers on that fear that Cooper had hinted at and that power. Um, I hope that they treat it with the same vague and mysterious quality that they did with Bob. I hope they don't... Um, overuse it if you know what i mean like i still want Wyndham earl in the background kind of pulling the strings i don't want it to get like too um too hammy too uh this like super villain fighting cooper this super good guy i i hope they still give it this kind of mysterious quality to it especially since it looks like he's taking up residence in the woods and i'm assuming they're going to connect it to bob in some way um i hope they do that well I'm wondering if maybe that's where the finale goes. Um, I'd like to see that, you know, whether Bob is inhabiting Wyndham Earl and is using him to enact revenge on Cooper. That could be something. Uh, I'm not sure. But I, but I, I hope they treat it with a sort of uh, mystery and significance that they have, the Laura Palmer storyline. I want to see, yeah, Leo's gravestone because I feel like Leo's character is played out at this point. I think the me- next logical step for him is is to die in some some way that propels the plot forward. Um, besides that, yeah, I think it'd be an interesting thing to see Wyndham Earl again behind the scenes pulling, pulling strings, but, uh, I just, I just really want to see Wyndham Earl and Cooper eventually show down, and I want it to be, like, this earth-shattering thing, hopefully. But, yeah, I would say the, the thing that I'm looking forward to the most is hopefully Leo dying in a way that propels the plot forward. Yeah. All right, well, I think that pretty much, uh, brings us to the end of, of the episode. Do you guys have any, any final thoughts other than that? I don't. Yeah, I'm good. All right, uh, we've we've talked about this in in pretty great detail. So, uh, you know, tune in tune in next week to see uh, uh, Diane Keaton's directed episode, yes, uh, oh, Slaves yeah. and Masters. Um, it, it's pretty exciting. I I'm excited to talk about that. I think some more some more stuff happens. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not remembering too much from that, but we will see how that question plays out and how all the other questions. No matter how boring they may be, will play out in the next episode. Um, Sorry so, about my dogs in the background there. If you heard that, <laughs> my my stomach has been growling the entire time, and I don't know if the mic has picked it up at all. I hope so. I'll there's a spot sure where I think it, it might have. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Um, <laughs> so let's uh, talk about let's the other shows about- in our. Yeah, let's do it. Floyd, why don't you yeah. start? Yeah, so our only weekly show is the Cinema Talk Podcast. Uh, that's where a uh, movie, we break down a movie once a week and it's full details. This coming Mondays will be uh, the start of our Alien series with a 1979 classic film by Ridley Scott. Uh, we also, yes, Matt's favorite movie, so very excited for uh, Matt to break that down for us. Yes. Um, we also have the Cinema Talk Movie Journal, which is another small offshoot, which we don't have any set time for. Um, we just release whenever. That's going to be the home of our top 20s and top 25s, which by the end of the month, hopefully me and Matt will be having our top 25 of the decade episodes, which will be mm-hmm. a lot of fun. We also have the Octo Island podcast, where we talk about everything Star Wars. Starting next Wednesday, we will be doing our Clone Wars rewatch. Um, that's an every other Wednesday show. We also have Twisted Mug Mysteries, which is a... Uh, um, 
a podcast about everything spooky and occult hosted by Brendan. The other thing, uh, the other podcast that Brendan hosts is called Stop Wait What, which is our comedy advice show, uh, which we had a just just had a new episode last Friday called The Suicide Squad Paradox, which was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, am I missing any? I don't think I'm missing any. I think that's our shows. Matt, do you want to talk about our social medias? Yeah, so we are at Twisted Mug Media on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we'd love for you to give us a follow there. We post usually whenever we release a new podcast episode. Um, if you want to contact us, you can do that through uh, those outlets, uh, you know, DMing us on there, or if you prefer to do it through email, you can contact us at, at uh, twistedmugmedia at gmail.com. So, yeah, please please check us out. Please leave us a five-star review if you would like to on our iTunes. Give us a review. Uh, tell us what you think about the show. We'd like to hear any recommendations, any suggestions. We welcome absolutely anything. So, yeah, please hit us up. Yeah, and hit us yeah, up on Letterboxd. So- we all got Letterboxd. I'm at rfloyd17. I believe, Matt, you're just what, Matt Monroy, right? Yep, at Matt Monroy, M-A-T-M-O-N-R-O-Y. And I'm just Logan Emmert, L-O-G-A-N, E-M-M-E-R-T. Yeah, so you can uh, keep so, up with all, all the yeah. stuff that we're watching on Letterboxd. You'd be, you'd be surprised. The fact that I have to spell out Logan is kind of weird, but I have... People have screwed really? it up before. I mean, yeah. I guess G-Y-N, maybe? Or, like, E's, e's sometimes. And Ew. In weird, <laughs> e's in weird places. Anyway... Um, uh, Should that be the name of the episode instead of whatever the Twin Peaks episode title is? Ease in weird places. Yeah, yeah. ease in weird like places. Uh, well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah. Uh, yeah, as Matt said, we would love to hear from you. However, you wanna you wanna reach out to us, uh, Instagram, Twitter, email, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, and we would love to hear from you. So, um, I'm Logan. I'm Matthew. I'm Ryan. So, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya. I have to poop so bad.